let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, as we come before you this morning to hear your word, Lord, I do ask that you would open our ears to anything that you have for us, that you would help us to understand this passage, that you would help us as we continue to learn about the life of Joseph and Judah, his brothers, Jacob, to apply it to our lives, that you would close our ears to any error that I may speak. And uh, Father, just continue to impress the meaning of this all in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, interesting week I had. I was, I was um, pondering a lot of this stuff. I, I, I got to think about this passage and then kind of mix it with a, a couple other things I was doing this week. I had to teach at a deanery meeting on deliverance, and I got to plan for that meeting on Monday for the meeting that was supposed to take place on Tuesday, which the dean forgot to tell me got moved to Thursday, so I got to drive to Chattanooga um, for a meeting that wasn't taking place, drive back, and then work on the art of forgiveness the whole way back. <laughs> and then I got back in the car and um, uh, on Thursday, and drove, uh, I did forget to tell a couple people in my Bible study, I tried to tell everybody, uh, taught that, and then got back for Kyle's wedding, which was phenomenal, got back for the rehearsal, and then did the wedding, and so that was uh, really pretty cool, and so uh, enjoyed all of that as uh, well. And Kyle got married, so we don't have to publish the bands of marriage, he did indeed get married, and I've not seen a couple that happy uh, to get married, um, man, they were bounding down the, it was great, it was a good wedding. So uh, I was thinking about this passage in between, and I was writing the sermon yesterday in Starbucks and at home and uh, in and out of different things, and I was just pondering you know, a bunch of different things while I was writing and thinking about this whole passage. And um, it's a kind, it's an interesting passage. I was thinking about the twists and turns of life when I was looking at this Joseph passage. Um, because we're kind of coming to the end of his life. Like all the, or Jacob's life, excuse me. Because up until this point, we were looking at Joseph. We've been looking at Judah. We've seen Simeon and Levi. We've seen all this stuff. But, but the author Moses took us out of Jacob's life and then into these other lives. Jacob's become an afterthought, but now all of a sudden we pan back in and we're back on Jacob. And it kind of showed me the twists and turns of life. I was thinking about that, the ups and downs. There are times when life seems to blow by and there are other times when life seems to drag on and on. Have you thought about that? I was thinking that it has its seasons, youth teenage years, young adult, middle age, young elderly, and elderly. Now, what's fascinating to me that as we go through each of these stages, we simultaneously experience all the other seasons of life as well. What do I mean by this? Well, as children, we have parents, and we have grandparents, and we often have great-grandparents. As parents, we have children and parents and grandparents, and as grandparents, we have parents and children and grandchildren. So I asked my dad the other day, was it weirder having a 52-year-old son or a 30-year-old grandson 
or a 27-year-old grandson who had a two-year-old daughter? Which was it? Life just keeps rolling on and on. Tick-tock, tick-tock. In the blink of an eye, right? We can't stop it. And so often we're so worried about how fast it's flying by or what's going on right now that I was thinking we fail to enjoy all that it has to offer. At other times, we're so consumed with what's going on right now that we can't even see what's going on all around us. How many of us have done that? Life is short, no matter how long it lasts. I, I was thinking about that. Uh, Grace and Trung just went there to Zion National Park. You walked into Zion National Park, and I just thought how much beauty I miss. And I thought the first time I walked into Huntsville how beautiful that was compared to some places I've been. And I thought Zion was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And then did you all go to Bryce? Oh. Then I walked over the edge and saw Bryce Canyon, and I thought, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen beauty before. Life has so much to offer, and we just don't recognize it all the time. We don't see it because we're so consumed. In our passage this morning, we're reminded of the fact that life is short no matter how long it lasts. It keeps marching forward, and we mortals, we won't last forever, but God's plan keeps on moving relentlessly through time. That's what Genesis is showing us, or one of the things it is at least. Now we left off last week with Judah standing in before Joseph as a foreshadowing of the one who would come later in his line, Jesus, right? He offers his life for Benjamin's life. He offers to be a slave. And we've seen the massive growth in Judah, Judah becomes a Christ-like figure, a foreshadowing of Jesus who would later be in his line. It's an amazing transformation. And we began to see the awesome power of God working in the lives of the family of Jacob, who were all worshiping false gods. Remember that? Remember how we studied that? They, right after they murdered that whole town and they're leaving, Jacob tells them to put away your idols. We're getting ready to go worship Yahweh. We've seen the horrible sin into which these men fell. All of the brothers with Joseph, right? They, they wanted to murder him and they sent him off. And then Simeon and Levi. And then all the horrible things that Judah and Reuben did. And then we saw the enormous saving power of Yahweh in their lives. This story of Genesis is truly incredible, is it not? Mike and I were praying on what to preach this year. I always pray on what to preach. It was awesome to have now Mike praying with me on what to preach. And this is what we got from the Lord. The transformation of Judah alone. I didn't think I would be preaching on Judah. In this series, I was just talking to Father Justin back there on Wednesday. Another interesting thing this week that happened that just blew my mind. And we were talking on this, on Judah and Simeon, and Levi, and the transformation, and things that we didn't see as pastors when we were preaching on this. It astonished me. It blew me away. Mike's sermon blew me away. Blew Justin away. 
If there was hope and transformation for him, then there's hope for anyone, isn't there? And this was a powerful message to a largely pagan people coming out of slavery from the land of Egypt who were broken and sinful and struggling with all manner of paganism. This is the audience to whom Moses is writing. And it's just as powerful a message to people in our day who are struggling as we do. Whether it's you or your spouse or your family or your friends or your neighbors, God can overcome anything and any amount of sin that you or they are struggling with. If you don't believe it, send them to Genesis. It's a reminder not to give up on folks. We all have folks in our lives that we get irritated with or who seem to never change. Relatives we pray for week after week, year after year, but no matter what, they just don't ever seem to get it. So we give up. Jacob's sons remind us never to give up. It's in God's time. It is not in ours. On the lighter side of that, I was reminded when I was preaching at Kyle's wedding And I had St. Andrew's folks stand up. How many of us have been praying for Kyle to find a spouse? And he searched far and wide. And there was a conversation I had with his mother where his mother had just given up on him finding a bride. And there she was. I actually fasted during fast days for him because I knew how much he wanted to find a bride. And there she was. It warmed a pastor's heart as well. Moses flashes back to Jacob after this reunion, 45, 26 to 46, 1. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. These are the brothers. And he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb. That is the father's reaction. My son, I thought was dead, is now alive. And not only is he alive, he's the ruler of Egypt. Your son was dead, and now he's the ruler of Egypt. What's the father's reaction? He is astonished. He is numb. His sons sold his son into slavery, and now they have to come back and announce that to their father. How does Jacob take that? What does he do with that? He's an old man. His heart is numb. Genesis is such a powerful book. It blows our minds. He did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry them, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And so he took his journey with all that he had. And he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Tick, tock, tick, tock. Life has been slipping away. This story was about Joseph and Judah, and all of a sudden, back with Jacob. An old man, ready to die, but not yet. Life has been blown back into him. Not yet. Why? Joseph is alive and Jacob picks himself up and says, I'm not going to die. I'm going to see my 
boy. I don't care how far away he is before I die. Now, this is not a statement to which the younger of us can relate, but as we get older and I look in the mirror, my beard is not, there was red in my beard. It is now gray. But as the beard grows gray and the hair turns white and then blue and the knees get creaky and everything hurts, and especially as there are fewer and fewer days ahead than behind, until the days ahead become maybe a decade, you can really understand what's going on with Jacob. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Our priorities change as we age, don't they? And this is good and right. Notice, Jacob does not fear his death. He is rejoicing in the fact that he gets to see his son. Why? Because as we age and our time grows short, we are reminded of what is valuable in this life, family, friends, and faith. There are things that are eternal, and there are things that are temporal, irrelevant. Jacob's thoughts move on to what comes next for him and how he is to leave his family. And this is when, once again, the Lord comes to him and speaks. This is what Moses focuses on. The Lord is good, and the Lord is faithful. He is always faithful. Genesis 46, 2 through 4. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night. And he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Now, this is a prophecy that would rock most modern Americans, that would rock most Europeans if we got it today. Why? You are going to die. We want to think we're going to live forever. Our society spends a great deal hiding the realities of life from us. Our elderly and our sick and our wounded die in hospitals or nursing homes. We don't see them. We think that meat comes to us from where? The supermarket. And we're horrified by the thought of slaughtering animals or hunting because we live in a world where they don't, we don't have to do it to survive or to see it. It's thought of as traumatic if we do or if we see someone die. But in every other time period, people died all around us. Even at a basic level, your average farm kid understands life and death and how to fend for themselves. Even the birds and the bees at a very young age in a way that most suburban and city adults won't until they're older. And they aren't freaked out by any of it. Why? Because they raise, breed, care for, and slaughter animals, right? I mean, I think about how kind of nervous I was to talk to my kids about it, right? Birds and the bees, Life and death, where'd they learn about it? Hearing about Mary and Jesus being born, and then one of them saw it happen with animals on 
TV. Life and death, all of this. But this was the reality for Joseph. He was a shepherd. I mean, Jacob, sorry, he was a shepherd. They saw all of this. Life and death was around them. So when he hears this, he has a very different way of thinking. They took care of bodies. Young to old experienced death. It was part of their lives. This is understood in many societies around the world today, too, but just not well in our culture, especially in the last 60 years or so. So when Jacob is told, Joseph's hands shall close your eyes, he sees it as a blessing and not as a curse. This is a reward for him and not a thing to be feared. He knows that this death is part of life. We all have to die. So here's the question. And the only question for us is, how are we going to die? Scripture shows that some of us will face peaceful deaths like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Some, like King Saul, will face terrible deaths. And others, like Jesus, will face the most horrible death imaginable. But death is inevitable. Yahweh, once again, renews his promise here to make Israel a great nation. This is important for Jacob because the last time God commanded him to go to the promised land, But now he is saying to go to Egypt, and then he'll bring Israel back, which is why he says Israel at the beginning. He then goes to Jacob. But he says, I'm going to take you to the promised land and then bring you back. But he's he's going to bring them back at the head of the tribe, but he's really going to bring the people back. Remember, written to the people of Israel who are going to be leaving Egypt. The prophecy is about the nation. He is going as a man. He returns as a nation. But the entire trip is going to be part of God's plan. They will know the slavery experienced by Joseph, and they will also experience the riches given to the brothers by Pharaoh when they leave Egypt. Genesis 46, 28 to 30. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. And then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face. And we'll finish with this. Now the circle is complete. Where once Jacob led his family to go meet Esau, now Judah, the wayward son, the prodigal son, goes ahead and he meets Joseph. But instead of a fearful reconciliation marked by the lie of Jacob, meeting a pagan son Esau, you have a son Judah who has become more like a leader meeting a godly son Joseph. And they have a joyful reunion marked by the fulfillment of a promise. Jacob has changed. Judah has changed. Joseph has changed. The family is restored. And the family was marked by incredible hardship and tragedy. And it's now marked by incredible blessing and unity. This is a foretaste of what is going to come in heaven. Now, of course, it's not perfect. This is an earthly foretaste. But it's a tremendous story of joy and restoration. Now, looking back, upon this story, from the beginning to the end, okay? How many of us 
were shocked by what we read and heard throughout these passages. How many wondered, why were these passages even put in Scripture? What was God thinking? Should they even be taught? How many of us saw ourselves reflected in them one degree or another? I was kind of uncomfortable with the fact that I saw myself in a lot of these passages. But at long last, do they now make sense? You see, God's ways are not our ways. They often twist and turn, and they take us in unexpected directions, and we'll find that he brings unexpected folks into the church, into the kingdom of God. Now, some of us can relate because some of us are unexpected folks here. Some of us, some folks here that come into the church will make us angry. Lord, how can you bring that person into church? Are you crazy? Get them out. I don't want to be near that sort of thing or that sort of person. Be honest. Be honest. If Judah walked into this church, especially after the Tamar incident, or Simeon, or Levi, or even Jacob for most of his life, would you want him in your church? And if God himself said, I've called them, would you really accept it? Really? How about Tamar? Would you accept her? All kind of tricky, isn't it? We all see ourselves as Joseph and Abraham and John and Jesus. I like to do that. I don't want to say I'm Jesus, but I'm probably like John, right? He's pretty cool. But what if I'm like Judah? What if I'm like King David when he starts stumbling? See, that's the thing about God's plan. It's not ours. We all just have a different part to play, and we all need to understand that without Jesus, we are no different from Judah or Simeon and Levi. And he loved them just as much as he loved John. And if God did, then how much more should you? And if God reached out to people like that, then how much more should you? And if God could change people like that, how much more can Jesus change you and them through the power of the Holy Spirit? Spirit. Amen?